Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply. You're getting the most out of being at a game with American Express. The card member entrance, the lounge, and now tip-off. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to the latest edition of March Madness 365. I'm your host, Andy Katz. On this edition... Of our show, I will be joined by Illinois head coach Brad Underwood, ESPN longtime bracketologist Joe Lenardi, my cat's ranks all related to our first bracket of the 2020-21 season. I know what you're saying. There is no games being played yet. How can you do a bracket? Well, how can we not? Because we put out our first Power 36. You heard it right here on this podcast last week. So why not do a bracket? Based on that power 36, extend it out to the field of 68. We'll discuss all this with Joel Lenardi and Brad Underwood. Uh, you will hear in the Cats ranks my top 10 seeds. Uh, and you can go to our social media handles at ncaa.com. And of course, March Madness to see the full list of the bracket, of the uh, seed list, of who's in, who's out. Uh, these are all projections, of course, but we'll have some fun with it. But he also diving deeper into the interview with Brad Underwood about uh, how Illinois is dealing with COVID-19, you know, how they're going to have to deal with all the protocols. But more than anything, as you heard even last week, just how excited everyone is that there is now a start date of November 25th. And in talking to Joe, uh, it'll be interesting because schedules right now, everyone's trying to put together their schedule for the non-conference, um, that minimum not a mandate, but a suggestion of four non-conference leagues all across the country are saying they want their teams to play non-conference. Even the Ivy is going to try to squeeze them in at the back end of December, possibly. So that could still happen uh, because obviously to compare teams, you're going to need some comparative data. And that's why they want to see something outside of your league. But you know, look, some of these leagues they don't necessarily want to go that far outside their comfort zone, outside of what the current testing protocols are. And what we're already seeing this past week for some of these non-conference tournaments that were either going to be down in the bubble in Orlando, some schools just don't want to travel to Florida. Uh, they want to stay regional. They're a little worried about the state-by-state -state rules of having a quarantine if you go to certain hot spots. And so that's an issue right now, even though it's in mid to late September for games that wouldn't even be played until late November, December. What we do know is that the ACC Big Ten Challenge is scheduled to happen December 8th and 9th. We don't know the teams yet and the matchups. Uh, I'll just say and tease that uh, uh, I think the best game of all of them could be Illinois at Duke if it happens. That's the one I would like to see happen. Uh, remember, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge, the home and roads are designated, so you can't always match up the best teams. But that's supposed to still happen. The SEC Big 12 Challenge is supposed to still happen. Um, a Big East Big 12 matchup is still supposed to happen. We'll see if the Gavit Games, which is Big East Big 10, 
happens or if it's just folded in within regional rivalries like Creighton, Nebraska, Marquette, Wisconsin. But even some regional rivalries may not happen. We have already seen that uh, in the Ocean State, they've announced because of scheduling, they cannot do Rhode Island versus Providence this season based on what the Big East and A-10 are trying to do. And Louisville, Kentucky. I mean, this is crazy, but Chris Mack has kind of floated it out there. Uh, This uh, was on John Fanta's podcast that uh, doesn't know if we'll have that game this year because it could be a disadvantage to play that game at Louisville without any fans than the following year to go to Kentucky with fans, assuming. We'll see if that still happens. We hope it does. But the scheduling of these events still cannot happen until all leagues, and right now of the majors, only the SEC has done this, where they've said, okay, we're still playing this amount of games and we're starting on this date. And we still need to have all the leagues say that so that the non-conference tournaments can get their set number of games and dates set for late November and early December. So... Let's address the bracket, the tournament, what will happen with scheduling, all with Joe Lenardi coming up next here on March Madness 365. And now joining me here, March Madness and March Madness 365, the resident bracketologist, um, the professor, Joe Lenardi from ESPN, the godfather of bracketology. Um, And if we want to go all the way back, uh, was once my boss at Blue Ribbon, as we've said many times on this podcast, uh, for those that haven't been following our respective careers. Uh, Joe, first, your initial reaction when the Division One Council announced on September 16th a start date of November 25th that we knew there was a beginning to this season. I was happy to hear it. I think at that point, Andy, I was fairly convinced that it was going to get approved like you. You know, I was following the oversight committee's work and uh, like you ha- have some friends that are on those committees and was getting a reasonable amount of information. I mean, I was convinced of two things six months ago. One was that if they were the only 14 football teams on earth, the SEC would play football, period. And it's not a political statement. You know, it's religion. They have to do it, period. And I was convinced that in some manner, there would be a 2021 NCAA tournament. SEC football is religion for you and I and so many others. The tournament is religion. And, you know, the reality is the NCAA took a massive hit and its membership took a massive hit in March. And I didn't know whether we'd have four days of bracketology leading up to the tournament or four months. Right. I figured it would be somewhere in the middle. And I think for most of the summer and fall, I like a lot of people probably thought we'd play in January, we'd have only league games, and that the field or the selection process might be tweaked a bit to adjust to that. But you know, most sports have been reasonably successful now at managing the pandemic. And I'm good with November 25th. I'm not super crazy about it being the night before Thanksgiving. I think they should start on a weekend, whether it's the one before or the one after Thanksgiving. I don't care. And that's selfish because Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. So I think the teams that have to play on the road that night on the Wednesday, they get screwed a little bit just from a family point of view. But these they just want to play, right? They just want to play. 
All right, so we'll get to the schedules here in a moment and, and my bracket and all that. But first, I need you to, uh, I want your opinion on this because we exchanged text messages on this. Uh, you know, the ACC a couple of weeks ago put out this crazy idea. They all endorsed it. They pushed it through social media. Your word, not mine. You said crazy. That's fine. I think it is crazy. It, it is was. Crazy. And it was quickly debunked by Dan Gavitt, the uh, senior vice president of the NCAA, <laughs> of a one-time, everyone in the NCAA tournament. So you have studied this as well as anyone. Why is that a bad, bad idea to maybe expand it in any form, let alone let everyone in? I mean, I get it. Every option should be on the table. You know, baseball has a doubled its playoffs they were already too big and now teams are getting in with sub 500 records in major league baseball but you know in our sport in division one men's college basketball and that's you know really all this was about women's basketball would have had to follow suit for lots of reasons political and legal and otherwise and as it should but if the goal is to celebrate the game which was part of the my word, bogus rationale behind the proposal, okay, there are a lot better ways to celebrate the game than testing 35 people at McNeese State and sending them to, I don't know, Dayton or Kansas City or Spokane or wherever to play 40 minutes of basketball against Duke and then go home. It just doesn't make any sense. And you know, I, I think I know why both publicly and privately the proposal was floated. And when our mutually good friend uh, Dick Vital tweeted that they should listen to Dr. Lenardi instead of Coach K, I knew the world was flat, the moon was full, and that it was never going to happen. <laughs> and God bless Dan Cavett, and God bless Dick Vital. And you know, if Coach K doesn't want to play before January, then don't. If it's personal, then have someone else coach. Like, fine, I, I have all the respect in the world. But to uproot the sport to the level of that proposal, uh, yeah, no. All right, so here's one of my thinkings here, in addition to what we know is coming back. And I'm curious what you think about this aspect. When you put together a projection, which you do, even without any games being played. One critical aspect of this season is going to be, um, and I hope people don't take this wrong, but like, mm -hmm. it's almost like survive and advance here. And I don't mean in a mortality way. I mean, like through COVID of who's eligible to play because who's negative. Um, and in teams in the Big Ten's case, if someone is positive, they have a rule now because of myocarditis. They got to wait 21 days to be cleared to play again if they've been positive to check their heart. So there are all aspects that all these teams are going to have to deal with to get to that holy grail at the end of the season. And when I look at my teams that I put, let's say, in the top seven of Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, Virginia, all of them are experienced, have a lot of players back, and if they need to deal with adversity, rather than a team that may be loaded with high-profile freshmen, they're more apt to do so in this particular season. Fair point. I hadn't really thought about the experienced roster versus inexperienced roster in terms of 
evaluation. <laughs> it sounds like you're a little further down the road at doing that and taking it a step further, not just on a team by team basis, but a league by league basis. If some conferences have, you know, this set of medical protocol and conference B does not, could that impact whether league A gets five bids instead of six and vice versa? Absolutely. So can a missed foul shot. It's reasonably random to begin with when you get to the end of the at-large pool. You know, we've said for 100 years together, you and I, there really is no difference between teams 67 and 68 versus 69 and 70. You know, it could be a turned ankle or a hangnail, and maybe now it's a COVID test. And that would be incredibly sad for that team or their fans. But no more sad than last year when there was no tournament at all for the Obi Thompsons and the Malachi Flynn's and all the incredible storylines that were building last March 13th when we shut down. From a basketball standpoint, you know, I look at a team like Gonzaga with a lot of international players who've been around and who've been on campus and who've never really gone home. And even without, you know, official coaching have, you know, a building to go play in and a, a set of teammates to play pickup. I, I think that that's a real advantage. That was as far as kind of my logic. You know, Baylor, same deal, veteran team, right? Lots of guys back, lots of experience, et cetera. So you, you may, as always, Andy, be ahead of the curve here. Oh, well, thank you. All right. So now in terms of scheduling, because that's what's happening across these uh, campuses once they heard this start date. And we're still waiting for every league to officially announce when they're playing, how many games they're playing. But it sounds like the majority, if not all, will play some form of non-conference. The recommendation was a minimum of four, but it wasn't a mandate because it's not legislatively put in, but it was a, a recommendation. And then there's the minimum of 13 overall games, which was somewhat directed you know, at the Ivy. Uh, because right now the Ivy doesn't plan to play until January, and they may only play a max of 14, depending upon if they can get any games in before that. So as these coaches are trying to sift through this you know, minefield of trying to put together a schedule, and it really has almost become a clean slate, yes, there are contracts, but a lot of them are going to get voided because of the pandemic. Um, what would be your advice of trying to navigate a schedule that also is COVID-friendly, but at the same time, you need games that you may, uh, you know, maybe a difference of whether or not you get in. And I mean, you want games, right? Like, like if you're a major program and you're used to playing 30 plus games, you don't want to play 16 or 18. And based in Philadelphia, you know, and seeing the Philly coaches just did a coaches versus cancer event the other night and seeing them all, I'm looking at Temple and LaSalle, Atlantic 10 American. The campuses are about a mile and a half apart. They play once a year. Why not play twice? Like, it's a van. You can get taped in your locker room, get in the van, and drive over to the other guy's court, right? And, you know, you can't maybe do that at Montana State, but you can do it in a lot of places. So I'm anxious to see if that's the resolution in some cases. I, I, I joked with a friend of mine from Drexel, like, they should play all the big five schools. The big five schools should want them to come. Villanova to Drexel is about six and a half miles. That would be the long trip. Not even Villanova would charter for that. And uh, it might not even stay in hotels. So, you know, that kind of thing. 
could take place. But from a, you know, resume standpoint, which I think is what you're really after and what everybody wants to know, I'm saying to people who call, the ones that are in the next tier conferences, right? The Atlantic 10, the American, the non-Gonzagas in the West Coast Conference, a Northern Iowa, you know, teams that can get an at-large bid outside the Power Five in the Big East, they should do everything they can to schedule up, in my opinion. You know, if they have to cancel games and they're not paying for them anyway, you know, don't play Southwestern Central Missouri State if you can play Kansas, even if it means going on the road, you know, a long bus ride. Because the teams in the power conferences are going to get enough quality games in what looks like the season we're going to have. And it will be easier for the committee to say, oops, St. Louis, you looked good, but who did you beat outside the Atlantic 10? Right? And even though the metrics are going to be off, not as far off as some people think, in my math opinion, but the committee will have more of a reason to exclude. I'm not talking mid-major like, you know, Belmont mid-major. I'm talking about teams in multi-bid leagues, but aren't power conferences. I'm basically talking about the Atlantic 10, the Mountain West, to a certain extent, the American West Coast Conference, maybe MVC. They're in that, like in the Venn diagram where the little circles overlap. They're the ones I think that need to schedule up. So in Orlando, mm-hmm. uh, it has not been officially announced, but you know ESPN plans to pool all their events. And one thing that they're throwing out, and, and other uh, organizers are looking at this as well, we potentially could have this with the Gazelle Group, which controls the Legends and the 2K, I think, or Empire, whatever it's called, and then the Hall of Fame. They may all congregate at Mohegan Sun. And one thing that's being thrown out is – Okay, so maybe you were scheduled for two or three games in this MTE. Hey, you're already here. Why don't you tack on an extra game or two? Or one thing that Maui's looking at, I know, is so you go to Asheville, and let's say Providence didn't play Alabama. Okay, now on day four, let's how play. about you play Alabama? Right. Right. So how much of a benefit could that be to get those six or seven? Because I think it's probably going to cap out at six or seven non-conference games. Maybe even you know one-stop shopping like that. Right. And I'm using the St. Louis example again, only because I've been speaking with them. They were already in the Disney MTE. And when all this started, I in the NBA bubble started, I said, well, I know you're going to have three good games because it already works and it's been proven to work. And now you're right. I read a note this morning just before joining you that the Providence, Rhode Island game isn't going to happen for the first time in you know 800 years or whatever it is. Nobody's throwing rocks at their window for for breaking a tradition. Doesn't work. It doesn't work. So if Providence can replace that game with Alabama without leaving their hotel, then they should. And I don't know. I'll watch that game because as a bracketologist now, putting that hat on, those are two possible bubble teams, right? At a neutral site, the kind of game which in March we would sit around and debate about. And I think that's good for the sport, good for the Friars, good for Bama. And uh, it just makes sense. So the Villanova Temple game was already scheduled for the 24th, right? So Temple is saying, well, 
We'll come on the 25th. Well, Villanova has another game on the 26th or 7th. They don't want to play on the 25th. They want to play. They're not ducking. But, you know, the turnaround time is difficult. So I was with Fran Dunphy. The, there was a year when Dunf got Jay Wright to play at midnight, 12.01, so that Villanova could then go to Hawaii. Do you remember that? Yes. I said, so go at 12.01. Be the first game to play on November 25th at 12.01. I'm pretty sure it'll get national coverage. So one last thing, Joe, uh, and then uh, I'll just get your quick opinion here. The metric of the road game, because we know there's going to be a lot of neutral games in the non-conference, but even though teams still have to travel, there's probably a high probability that the majority of true road games in November and December will have no fans. That may be the case in January and February. We don't know. Right. So if, hypothetically, uh, and I was projecting out the ACC Big Ten Challenge, potentially, um, and I looked at a potentially Illinois at Duke matchup, Mm -hmm. because I think that's what could happen. So now Illinois goes to Cameron. No fans. They're still traveling. But how does that game get judged when it's basically playing Duke in an empty Cameron without the pressure of, you know, the Cameron crazies? All right, so what we know is, let's try not to think of Illinois and Duke. We know from a macro perspective that in Division I men's basketball for multiple generations, home teams have won 70% of the time, 70 plus. And that is why when in the old RPI days, when it was finally re-weighted home road neutral in 2005, they made road wins worth two and a third more than home wins, right? 1.4 for a road win, 0.6 wins for a home win. We should cut that at least in half, it would seem to me, for no fans. But I don't think we should cut it to neutral to straight even a because we need to distinguish Illinois playing at Duke from Illinois playing Duke in Washington DC or Madison Square Garden right so I don't know all the the ratios within net or any other of the newer systems but I think we probably have to maybe 1.2 to 0.8 roughly and leave neutral as a straight up 50-50 and then you know, if we're breaking down the quads, right, it's a quad one game if it's one to 50 on a neutral court, one to 75 in a true road game, and one to 30 in a true home game. Do we squeeze it? You know, do we make it 40, 50, 60, right? Or do we just say, screw it and go back to the pre sliding scale quad and say, all right, it's a top 50 game, period. And does it matter? Right. Like, There's a lot of these things we don't know. And the most important factor, I think, this year is just going to be common sense. And I hope that... Yes. I know Dan has a lot of common sense. I know Dave Warlock has a lot of common sense. I know you and I have a fair amount of common sense. I'm not ready to declare the common sense quotient of anyone else just yet. All right, last thing, Joe... Your analysis. Yeah, big time. Of, of my, uh, of my uh, first preseason bracket. What are your thoughts? Well, my first thoughts are you got 68 teams. You know, God love them. That puts you ahead of Digger. Yes. <laughs> you know, because he would want 80 or 85. Yes. You got all the conferences represented, and it doesn't look like you have any teams playing in regions where they can't. So 
you know, in taking fundamental. And I got the BYU on a Thursday, Saturday. God bless us. <laughs> yeah, they're looking for really good games if anybody's watching because they lost their MTE. Yes. Look, this is a year where I think you could vote any of three teams as the preseason number one. Baylor, Villanova, Gonzaga, in whatever order you want, I would probably go Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova if I were ranking them at this moment. And then I That's think I the did. fourth spot, you picked Illinois, which is, you know, aggressive, but I appreciate it. There's no clear consensus, number one. And I like the fact, you know, that you dipped into the Atlantic 10 and you dipped into the Mountain West for an at-large and you gave Northern Iowa a good seed. It's very easy in preseason evaluations, in my experience, to skew heavily toward the power conferences. Just because, you know, recruiting rankings and numbers and who knew about like a John Morant in August of that year. Really? Like we knew he was a good player, but we didn't know they were right. single digit seed. Like the year Wofford was a seven. Did we know Wofford was a seven? Like we didn't. No. And you can't know. You can't know. And that's where the common sense is going to be needed in March because the numbers may not back up what logic suggests they should. But if your bracket was real, if it started tomorrow, I'd be good with it. I'd give you a perfect 68 for 68, Andy, and I'd watch every game. So I will say this, and we don't know if the sites are going to hold or they're going to sort of mini bubble, at least the early rounds. I'm going to say this right now, Joe, and we're going to talk many times about this. I will go on record as saying one of the toughest sites, if they hold, that uh, to figure out who to put that I found when I was putting teams in sites will be San Jose. San Jose for me, because I had Gonzaga and Boise, and there wasn't another team that was high enough to say, okay, they definitely have to be in San Jose. So San Jose was the one to me that it's going to end up having, whether it's a four seed or something like that, that it's not going to be a common sense use what you're saying, where you'd have Villanova, Providence, Virginia and Raleigh, you know, that's the site. So I'm, I'm putting that out there. Carl already did that out there. Maybe they move one of the West sites to the Midwest or South or East to try and minimize travel. This would be a year where I don't think you could really complain if that were the case. Right. You know, if the goal is, you know, more bus rides, fewer airplanes. And again, I don't know the stats on buses versus planes. I know that in a plane, you can't open a window. Maybe we're only sending eight teams west of the Mississippi. You know, regionalize the whole thing. Right. If need be. Who knows? We're a long way from selecting Sunday and. They're going to have to be flexible because we might be sending nine teams to every eight-team pod in case one of them can't play. That's what happened with right. TBT in the summer. Like, they took more teams than they needed. Boy, would that be a plus Woo. of intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right? All right, Joe. I appreciate it. Stay safe, and I know we'll talk soon. All right, Andy. Best to you and your family. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. All right, on this edition of Katz Ranks, we're going to look at my NCAA tournament bracket, the first one of 2020-21, and my top 10 seeds. You can find all this information out 
at NCAA.com, and of course, on all our March Madness social media handles for the full bracket, the full seed list. But for the top 10, here's where I went. At number 10, the Tennessee Volunteers returned the core of their team from a team that was playing really well late last season, outstanding recruiting class. I got the Vols at number 10 as a three seed in the NCAA tournament. Eve Pons will have an outstanding season for the Volunteers. At number nine, also a three seed, Kentucky. So the Wildcats, top recruiting class in the country. We'll see how a younger group deals with likely some adversity throughout the course of this season. So nine and 10, two SEC teams could be finishing in any order in the SEC uh, at the top, I mean, one or two. So now we go to eight on down. These next four are your two seeds. At number eight, Kansas. Marcus Garrett, top defensive player in the country last season. Naismith Defensive Player of the Year. This is a Kansas team that uh, with Dave McCormick, who more than likely will replace Yudoka Azubuke as the main cog inside. Um, you know, just overall, the Jayhawks consistently are in this top eight. There's no reason to doubt them again. Anytime you doubt Kansas, you end up being wrong. So I got the Jayhawks at number eight, two seed. At number seven, Virginia. Cavaliers enter the season, I think, as the ACC favorite. Sam Hauser's eligible. Kihei Clark, lead point guard. Jay Huff is back. This is a Virginia team I think will score better than last season, certainly with Hauser. Uh, and so I've got them at number seven as a two-seed top team in the ACC. At number six, Wisconsin. Now, six, five, and four, you could put in any order, and I wouldn't challenge it. So the Badgers return the core of their team, pretty much almost everyone except for Brevin Pritzel, Demetri Trice, Brad Davison, Nate Reavers, Micah Potter, all should have great seasons, I think. Uh, Aleem Ford will blossom even more. They're really high on their newcomers. The Badgers got a piece of the Big Ten regular season title last season. I have them at number six. At number five, a little controversial, maybe not in the top four, Iowa. Luca Garza back, preseason Big Ten and National Player of the Year. Jordan Bohannon is now healthy from a hip injury. Joe Wieskamp, Joe Toussaint, they've got all the pieces to be a one seed and be in the top four. But at number four, my lowest one seed out of the Big Ten, I've got Illinois. I gotta be consistent here. I had Kofi Coburn and Io DeSuma as two of my top returning players. You add those two with the rest of the team coming back, Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, Georgie Bashanasvili, and this is an Illinois team that I think should be picked to win the Big Ten and advance deep and possibly be a number one seed. So I've got Illinois, number one seed, the fourth number one. At number three, Villanova. The Wildcats did lose Sadiq Bey, but the rest of their crew is back, led by Colin Gillespie, who could end up being the Big East Player of the Year. So the Wildcats are primed to be the champs of the Big East, make their way toward being a one seed in the East, and the number three overall for me. At number two, top team in the South. Obviously, Illinois was top team in the Midwest. The Baylor Bears. 
They will be the favorite in the Big 12. They held the number one spot for a while last season. Jared Butler will be the preseason Big 12 player of the year. The way they defend, they're always long and athletic. Uh, I'm just high on the Baylor Bears being a one seed, two overall, number one in the South. And the number one seed overall, out West, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Gonzaga lost Philip Petrusev, but he can be replaced. Drew Timmy, Anton Watson, Corey Kispert's going to have a great year. Joel Ayayi is going to be one of the best guards in the country. And they added one of the best freshmen in the country in Jalen Suggs. All the pieces are there for the Zags to make another great run, be a one seed, and potentially get to the Final Four and win it in Indianapolis. So those are my top 10 seeds. 10 to 1, two threes in the back end, obviously 9 and 10, your fours, your four two seeds, and your four number ones. All right, as you heard, Illinois was the fourth seed overall and a one seed. So let's bring on Brad Underwood, the head coach of the Illini. Brad, I put out my latest Power 36 because we now know of a start date, November 25th. And then, of course, to just have some fun, I did a bracket, took a page from Joe Lenardi, did some seeding. And based on my rankings here and my seeding, and this is all projection, I had Illinois as a number one seed, the fourth overall, and the champions of the Big Ten. Now, that is way far away. That is March of 21. But for that to happen, for this Illinois team that I've got a lot of faith in, and I'm an outsider here, what must happen inside at Illinois? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I, I think, one, we all have to handle COVID um, in the best possible way. And, uh, you know, I, I, I tell our team every day, Andy, I, you know, the team who's going to win the Big Ten is going to be the team that handles COVID and has the least issues. Obviously, that's very unpredictable. Now, if everything was in a perfect world, uh, you know, we've got to do a couple of things better. We were 35th in the country overall defensively last year you don't make it to a final four if you're outside the top 15 we've got to be more consistent on that end we were not a real good shooting team last year especially from the three I think that will become a strength of ours I think it'll be something will be much better but uh, I love our depth I love the fact that we're now old we've got veterans and and they're leading our young guys uh, our young guys have been excellent to this point but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about what this team's upside could be. And, uh, you know, we've got to find that really early. We've got to find that, uh, that point where we ended the season last year because we were playing so well and try to carry that forward. So when I look at, like, my top seven, okay, you'll see a common theme here of Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Illinois, Iowa, Wisconsin, and Virginia. And – to me, the common theme is actually exactly what you said, which is to get through an unprecedented season. I don't see how you can do it to get to a Final Four with all rookies, with all freshmen, um, right. because of every curveball that you're going to have to deal with. You're going to need people that are mature, that are going to be able to deal with adversity. How much do you agree with that point uh, that those teams that can sort of survive this this unprecedented season are going to need those components to their team. Yeah, 100% agreement. I think that uh, having guys with experience that have been through some adversity, when you play in this league, you're going to deal with adversity. And as you get older, 
uh, you understand how to mature and handle those things. You know, having Trent Frazier, DeMonte Williams, two guys who basically started uh, the better parts of their whole career. Now Io Desumu back, who will be a first-round draft pick. Kofi, who's no longer a freshman. And uh, we expect consistency from Georgie Bashanishvili. Uh, we have two young men setting out who are 22, uh, not 18 or 19 coming in. And so I think there's, um, there's opportunities for growth from that. But of all those teams that you listed, I mean, I would expect uh, every Saturday I, I look at a football lineup of games and you see postponements. And you're going to have to have some depth. You're going to have to have a little luck. But you're going to have to have guys that uh, can step into a role that maybe is new to them uh, because you've got guys out with COVID or your depth has to play an important piece. And you're going to have to withstand uh, maybe a little more than uh, unusual. You're going to have to, right now, maybe empty crowds, empty venues. Uh, they'll be more like scrimmages. You won't have that adrenaline from a home crowd. So learning to play and learning to be tough uh, is going to be a big part of this. So to that other point uh, of learning other positions, I mean, how much are you going to stress that when you guys can be five on five, if you can be five on five beginning on October 14th to make sure that everyone's paying attention to what everyone else is doing, because there may be a situation where one player or two players may be out and you may have to play a position that you're not normally used to playing. Yeah. And I, we got a great example going right now in our individual workouts and we've been able to move to eight hours. And last week was the first week we've done it with the team. But, you know, we've got four guys out. They just all happen to be frontline guys. And so we've got mismatches all over the place in terms of what we're teaching. And uh, I love that part of our team. We ended the year playing DeMonte Williams a lot at the four spot and playing a little bit smaller. And yet we can play big playing Georgie there. So I'm excited about that for our team. I truly enjoy positionless basketball. And um, this group has some of, uh, of those tendencies. When I talked to Io when he made his decision, um, and, and Georgia even before that, there was definitely a sense of, and, and I know everyone in the sport is feeling this, of, of that missed opportunity. You know, it wasn't like you got beat at a buzzer beater. No one had a chance to play in the NCAA tournament. But how much is that driving your group that you guys were right there and playing so well? And who knows, you could have won maybe the Big Ten tournament and maybe could have reached the Final Four in Atlanta. Well, I think there's a little bit of anger. I think there's a little bit of frustration, and I see a different edge about our team. From our individual workouts, the intensity with which we were approaching those, I've, I've really liked the leadership that's happened. They know we've got some talented freshmen uh, who have to expedite their process of learning, uh, and the veterans have, have helped in that, and it, and it has been challenging. We're, we're not doing a lot of team bonding and team building stuff because of rules we have due to COVID, so our veterans are leading those charges and we do know how we played at the end of the year. And we are trying to replicate that and, and pick up where we left off last year and not have a lull. And um, I'm excited about that because our veterans have a bad taste in their mouth. You know, normally uh, when you come back and someone like Kofi from freshman to sophomore, that's the huge jump. And we saw it at Maryland with their bigs. See how Bruno Fernando and Jalen stick Smith got so much better between freshman and sophomore year but this has been an abnormal summer. So how has he been able to use that time to get better when not having sort of the normalcy of an off season? Yeah, it's been different. And one of the things that happened was, you know, we brought Kofi back early. He was back home. He'd left to go home and uh, just circumstances. We brought him back. But I think the one thing that's going to help him the most is just the mental part. 
Uh, now he knows. Now he knows what it's like to go against Michigan State or, or Michigan or whoever it is in this league. They're all great. But there's no indecisiveness. And he had some of that as a freshman. I think the, the success he had late, he was not playing late like a freshman. He had matured and got beyond that. And one of the things that we're uh, challenging him with is consistency. And, uh, you know, there was a reason Luca Garza was as dominant as he was, I think, 26-plus games of 20 or more. Kofi has to do that, and he can't have a night off. He's got to mature that way for us, and I think he will. There were times last season when Georgie Bashanisvili was sort of still figuring out how to play with Kofi. I know you used him in different ways. How do you think that relationship, not personally, because I know they're good friends, but on the court will be better this time? Yeah, I think it's been... Uh, as time has gone on, I think that has continued to be a comfort area of comfort for Georgie. You know, I think the one thing that he's done is, is realized, okay, this is how I have to play out here when I'm out here. Uh, this is where my opportunities come uh, to post up. This is where my high-low opportunities come. Uh, he's become a much better tactician in terms of, of screening and angles from the perimeter, not just in the post. I think there's a lot of comfort and a lot of improvement that just you know, he hadn't played out there since, uh, you know, since he was over in Europe, so in, in, in his home. So we're getting back to some of that comfort level that uh, has helped his confidence a bunch. So I mentioned Io. He comes back as arguably one of the best players in the country, uh, likely a preseason All-American, a contender for Big Ten Player of the Year. We'll see what Luca Garza does. Obviously, he's the reigning champ on that regard. But for Io to achieve all that, to potentially be a player of the year, what does he have to do? Well, I think we'll see a much better shooter. I think I will, will admit that he didn't have one of his best shooting years. Maybe the line move him back uh, a little bit. I think that, uh, you know, he's very focused on on that. He's committed to many kids in the gym getting a million reps up, shooting the basketball. I think that we're going to see a, a very mature aisle. And physically, what I mean is he's grown a little bit. Uh, he's 205 pounds right now. He came in at 170. So he's maturing into his body. And now, again, I, I say this all the time, you know, as your junior year is, is the time that you have an opportunity to be at your best against your peers. And I think we'll see that with Iowa. His confidence is very high. He's turned into an unbelievable leader. And now he knows. He knows what it, what it takes to be consistent. He was as consistent as any player in our league in the last half of the season. So I expect a, a first-team All-American type season from Iowa. All right, so every coach in the country is scrambling right now, obviously, to put together a schedule. We're still waiting for the Big Ten to announce the number of games and when the season will start. Well, it certainly wouldn't dip below 20. The question is if it's more than that and when it would start and whether or not there will be December games or how early into December. Once you heard there was a November 25th start date, how did that change you and your staff's approach to how you were going to schedule? What it basically has done is given us a blank sheet of paper. And we haven't filled anything in yet. Again, we're waiting on a lot of the protocols. Obviously, the Big Ten is, has put into place the 21-day myocarditis testing, which will have an impact, there's no doubt. After your positive. After a positive test, yeah, right. yes. And, and uh, you know, so you're out 21 days. That's a long time to be out and not physically doing anything. So, you know, I'm all about the safety I want to play guys and play opponents that uh, are testing similar to us. I want to play opponents that uh, I know when you walk in their facilities, they're doing it at the same standards we are. 
I know that's going to happen in the Big Ten. I know we're all on the same page and with the same type of testing and it's coming every day. That excites me. Again, what our non-league schedule looks like, I don't know. Everybody wants to play those games. And yet uh, I want to make sure that uh, we don't have guys that test positive and are out for an extended period of time because we don't play a team that tests like we do or we catch something in a hotel. That's what uh, all of our thought process is right now in terms of, of trying to schedule. So how do you balance a potential MTE, which are the multiple team events, a tournament where you maybe could create a controlled environment? You know, you arrive on the same day, everyone tests, you're in one place. I don't want to compare it to the NBA, but it's sort of a mini version versus contractual agreements for these one-off games that uh, you still may have and you have to debate, you know, whether or not legally you have to honor it. Well, I, I would hope that common sense would factor in somewhere into these things. You know, all you have to do is, is look around the country on any Saturday where football is being played and you see anything from no fans to a lot of fans in the stadium. So everybody is so different and their approach is, is very different. The Big Ten has a different approach. I mean, we're the only conference that's going to have uh, our athletes have to do myocarditis testing, and that's 21 days. To me, it's about everyone being on the same page and getting as close as we can to a true Big Ten champion. And we know that, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the team that wins, it's probably going to handle that aspect of COVID the best. I want to play as many conference games as we can to get the best representation going into postseason. I want to be safe in February knowing that we could potentially still have all these rules in place. And you sure don't want to be without your best players going into a Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament because they're out 21 days. So a lot of factors in there. You know, if we play league games in December, uh, Andy, that plays into non-league games and playing people that test like you and trying to avoid travel. And I would expect us to try to probably do that. We have a, I call it the soft bubble when we don't have students on campus to best eliminate the chances of getting it. So I think there's a lot of questions still ahead, and, and I hope sooner than later we do get a schedule. One last thing on this, if you could put your old Stephen F. Austin hat on here. For schools like that, how much empathy do you have of them trying to figure out how they're going to put together a schedule? Yeah, it's very hard, um, and it's very it was very challenging anyway there, Stephen F. I, mean, I went in, right. You know, I think it was end of August with four games one year. Nobody wants to play you, let alone – you know, in a, in a pandemic. So it's hard. That's why I think league games sometimes are the best options. You know, you have a, a guaranteed opponent who's testing like you. It's all about if you're in a one bid league, it's all about making sure that you do get the best team in the tournament. You get the best representation for your conference. And I understand they need those buy games. Uh, that is going to look completely different this year. As we move forward, we still don't know. You know, in the Big Ten, we have no fans to this point. So um, we're not going to be able to pay those premium guarantees that we have been paying. But uh, the important thing is, Andy, and I don't want to lose sight of, of a lot of we're playing. And that's the key thing. And it's so good for, for everybody in athletics that, uh, that we are playing. And that's the biggest takeaway from that. And last thing, Brad, when I talked to you earlier, uh, we talked about the testing at the University of Illinois, which has been groundbreaking. And I know there's been a couple of hiccups since then, but how has it worked out in terms of you know, the on-campus saliva testing, the app, knowing that before you go into a building that uh, it says that you've been negative. How has that been working over the last month? Yeah, it's been great. You know, we had a spike like we thought, like almost every other campus when students first came back and the university pretty much grounded everybody. 
And I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I tested at noon and I had my result at 6 p.m. So we're every other day testing right now with our athletes, which is working great. It's made it a such a point of emphasis for them to have a negative test. It puts it on their mind all the time. The app has been fantastic. It hasn't been perfect, but we've worked through some things there. Overall, it's been a real positive for our athletic department and for our university. Well, Brad, I appreciate it. I know you're trying to stay safe and with your whole team, and, and hopefully we will see Illinois on the court soon. You know, I'm driving that bus. Got them as a one seed. November 25th, we'll be there. Uh, we'll be someplace. We just don't know where yet. So we're excited. We're excited. It's a good time to be in Illini, and, and um, you're looking forward to coaching this bunch. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Andy. And that'll wrap up this edition of March Madness 365. As always, I want to shout out to my Turner Sports team of Chad Aycock, Abby Stoltz, Michael Kaplan, Sean Bartley, and the entire NCAA.com team that does an outstanding job repurposing this podcast in the written form. And we obviously have videos to break everything down on all our social media channels. So more than anything, stay safe. We'll continue to grind out the content for you as we gear up for the start of the season on November 25th. Appreciate everyone out there. Stay safe. We'll talk next week. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. See how to elevate your live sports experience at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. See how to elevate your experiences at AmericanExpress.com slash with Amex. Don't live life without it. Terms apply.